over these last few weeks, I believe that we've been taking God at his word. Sounds like a funny thing to say, doesn't it? You might think, well, isn't that what we do all the time? Truth is, I know that we hear God, but I'm not so sure that we do. I know that we hear him when his word calls us to be anxious for nothing. Or we hear the word of God when it says that we're to cast all our cares upon him because he cares for us. I know that we hear the words of Jesus when he invites us to come to him, all of us who are weary and heavy laden, when he says to us, I'll give you rest. We might hear Jesus when he says, do not worry. We might hear these things. We might understand the words that are being spoken, but but do we believe them? Do we take them seriously? Are these things the the foundation for our way of thinking and feeling and living? I'm not so sure all too often. And yet, over these recent weeks, we've, we've been considering these profound, powerful words of Scripture from Philippians 4. I believe that we're, we're starting to do exactly that. That's the invitation that's open to us, the challenge that lies before us. Let me recap those words from Philippians 4 for you right now. Verses 4 through to 8 in chapter 4 there. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness, your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, by petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Let's revisit just for a moment what God has been saying to us. It's this idea that we can experience calm even in our circumstances, calm rather than chaos, calm even in circumstances like those of of this COVID-19 season of financial strains, of relational strains, of political, social turmoil. These things needn't produce chaos here and here. No, we can know calm in our circumstances. Indeed, we can be people who not only know these things, but can speak and and live and and act in ways that produce the, the calm, even the coming kingdom of God in a world which is so desperately in need of it. Calm, Uh, and please don't misunderstand me, it it doesn't always mean acceptance, certainly doesn't mean apathy, it's not the same thing at all, no, rather in, in negative times or dark days, calm actually is the foundation and indeed the forge of change. Calm is what you need and it's what you are invited into by God in place of anxiety. Calm, C-A-L-M. For us, it means the following things from our reading of Philippians 4. C, celebrate God's goodness. A, ask God for help. L, leave your concerns with him. And today, we're considering the M, 
meditate on good things. Again, in Philippians there, uh, verse 8, reading on into verse 9, what does the Bible say? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honourable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, so says Paul the writer, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Not the God of worry, not the God of uh, fear which conquers you. No, no, not the God of anxiety. No, the God of peace will be with you. I don't know about you. I know I need the God of peace. I need the God of peace when I'm tying myself up in knots or turning myself inside out. I need his peace. I need his peace when I'm striving for for goodness and justice and grace in the world around me. When I'm seeking to input my life into building a better world, I need the God of peace. Apart from him, I can do nothing. Thinking on what is good. Thinking on what is good for your own good. It's eating the vegetables of your spiritual walk with Jesus and then finding out that actually they taste pretty delicious too. Wouldn't that be good news if all vegetables were quite... Well, moving on. Eating, drinking, tasting and seeing that God is good. Thinking on what is good for our own good. But how about thinking on what is good for the good of the world around us. Actually, in direct contrast to what is so ill and so evil in our world, being a person that thinks, that hopes, that loves, that lives, that believes in what is counter to the culture of our world, our world at this moment in time, Not only for us to be rooted in God, believing in his kingdom, but then being able to speak about such things to our current season. A season not only of the the ravages of uh, this pandemic, but a season also now uh, marked by by racial prejudice, hateful murder. Uh, You may not be aware also that this is a season also of abortion activism and far be it from me to speak insensitively into such matters. We live in a world that has seen this season of disarray as an opportunity for evils to be wreaked in greater and greater measure. I mention racial prejudice, certainly I do, but I consider it very important that we understand that in the midst of this season, abortion legislation both here in the UK and around the world has been radically liberalised in a way that we've not seen for a generation, making it really horrifically easy for children, unborn children, to be done away with in devastating numbers. Into this kind of world, this kind of culture, We need to be people who know a better word, know a better way, know a better one. Do you know the Prince of Peace? Do you know God himself? Are you rooted in him? Look, to talk of these things 
to gain a good theology, a good understanding in God of life and of death, of justice and injustice. This isn't a theology of despair, which is why I don't flinch from talking about these things with you. We ache against death and we seek to to run away from it. Isn't that the, the evidence of all the investments and efforts that have been made against coronavirus, for instance? We, we seek to run again, away from these things for we realize these, these things, they are not the good and perfect plan of God. Yet the Christian can have a, a, a fuller uh, theology of death and speak a better word. You know, we ache against injustice and hate and and prejudice and we seek to overturn these things for we realise they are also not the good and perfect plan of God. You know, thinking carefully about these things doesn't mean that we can't also think on the the good things of Philippians 4. We can think about the, the, the good and in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing some of the not good, we can then live and act that good into our world. Essentially, our verses today, they're teaching us this basic reality. Max Licardo puts it in his wonderful book. You can be the air traffic controller of your mental airport. That's a great image, isn't it? What are you permitting to land? And for what purpose? What are you sending on its way? When thoughts, when, when, when ideas, when, when feelings, when they do land, what is being unloaded in the airport of your mind? What things of God's kingdom are being downloaded and deposited in you such that you might be a blessing and a, a change agent in your world? Life will give you lemons. No matter how good you are, no matter how well you're doing, no matter how privileged you are, but you don't have to suck on them. Trouble will always terrify our world, but we needn't despair. Proverbs 4 and verse 23 teaches us to be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. Anybody know the truth of that? For good or for ill? Spiritually speaking, we recognise that this isn't solely about a battle against our own worst instincts. No, in fact, there are an array of enemies to our soul's peace, to our our mental health and well-being. Not least that the devil loves nothing more than to see a person destabilised, demoralised and even destroyed by the unchecked fears and unchallenged anxieties that beset them. John 10 and verse 10 tells us that that thief, he comes to kill, steal and destroy. And the devil wants to do exactly that in your mind and your heart. Circumstances right now might be played upon by your enemy to to bring not the goods of, uh, of, of justice and of grace, but rather the ills of despair. Come on, here's the rub. Who do you want to help? You, being the owner of your own mind, can choose. Do you want to help the devil steal your peace? Or help Jesus bring the peace that passes all understanding to you and to those around you? Second Corinthians 10 and verse 5 instructs us, capture every thought and make it give up and obey Christ. 
Don't let your thoughts have free reign to stomp all over your peace, to, to dominate your mental well-being. Rather, grab a hold of them and take them to Jesus. He is the one who is in ultimate authority. And it's to Jesus that we're going to be heading more fully in our next section as, as Libby shares how we can run to him and hold on to him. His arms are wide open to you today. If you come today, you're hurting, you're feeling helpless, his arms are open. Let's begin to worship him together and let's run into his healing arms of grace and peace. Farmer Jones sensed troubled in the trellis. His grape givers groaned, leaves drooped, vines dragged, listless Logan breeze sighed in chorus. The farmer listened for a time and decided to do what great growers have done forever. He taught his crop. A box to branch chat was in order. He set a stool between the rows, pulled off his straw hat, took a seat and invited. Okay guys, why the gloom? At first, no one spoke. Finally, a slender trendrill opened up. I just can't do it anymore, he blurted. I squeeze and I push, but the grapes won't come. Leaves bounced as other branches nodded in agreement. I can't even get a raisin to pop out, one confessed. Call me a cluster baron, shouted another. Forgive me, but I'm burdened. Farmer Jones shook his head and sighed. No wonder you guys are so unhappy. You're trying to do what you can't do and forgetting to do what you're meant to do. Stop forcing the fruit. Your job is to hang on to the vine, to keep connected, get a grip and you'll be amazed at what you can produce. Far-fetched conversation. Between a farm and a vineyard, yeah, but between our father and his children, perhaps not. God must hear multiple moans a minute. I'm a spiritual flop. The only fruit I bear is fear. Perfect peace, I feel like a perfect mess. The phrase fruitless and fret-filled describes way too many of us. Good opener, I thought so too. But it's not mine, it's Max Licardo's. Here, he's explaining John 15. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burnt. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love, and keep my commandments. You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. 
Therefore, if we as Christians aren't attached and rooted in God, who gives us everything we need to be fruitful, then we become fruitless and fear-filled instead of fruitful and fearless. Jesus' instructions are so clear in this passage. He says seven times to abide in him. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Abide in my love, abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. But what does abide actually mean? The Greek translation of the verb means several things. To stay, to continue, to dwell, to lodge, to remain, to rest, to settle, to last, to exist, and to be permanent. So when we put each of those definitions into the passage, it reads, Stay in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it stays in the vine. So neither can you unless you continue in me. He who dwells in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. If anyone does not lodge in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. If you remain in me and my words rest in you, Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Settle in my love, last in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and exist in his love. <clears throat> the invitation that once sounded demanding is actually a message of love and peace. And it soon becomes obvious as to why it is the natural order that a branch needs and rests in the vine. Max Ricardo says this invitation is essentially Jesus saying to you, come and live with me. My house is your house. But what does it mean to truly be at home? To be at home is to feel safe. The residence is a place of refuge and security. To be at home is to be comfortable. You can pad around wearing slippers or a robe. To be at home means to be familiar. When you enter the door, you needn't consult the blueprint to find the kitchen. And that's what we have in Jesus, the peace of being at home. Our aim as people, Christian or not, black or white, male or female, adult or child, is to be at home in Christ because that is the only place where anxiety dissolves, darkness flees, the world stops. Death becomes life and hope and joy become the heart of everything you do. You were made to be at home in Jesus. But how is it that we can abide in Jesus? Paul writes to Philippians chapter 4 verse 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard in me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So ask yourself this week, what have you learned from Christ? 
What have you received from Christ? What have you heard from Christ? And what have you seen in him? Meditate on these things. It was on these things that Kent Brantley meditated. Brantley was a medical missionary in Liberia, waging war on one of the cruelest of viruses, Ebola. The epidemic was killing people by the thousands. As much as any person in the world, Brantley knew the consequences of the disease. He had treated dozens of cases. He knew the symptoms, sore fever, severe diarrhea and nausea. He had seen little results of the, he had seen results of the virus and for the first time he was feeling the symptoms himself. His colleagues had drawn blood and begun the tests, but it would be at least three days before he knew the results. On Wednesday evening, July 23rd, 2014, Dr. Brantley quarantined himself in his house and waited. His wife and family were across the ocean. His co-workers could not enter his residence. He was quite literally alone with his thoughts. He opened the Bible and meditated on a passage from the book of Hebrews. He then wrote in his journal, the promise of entering his rest still stands. So let us never give up. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. Dr. Brantley considered the phrase, make every effort. He knew he would have to do exactly that. He then turned his attention to another verse from the same chapter in Hebrews. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He copied that scripture into his prayer journal and wrote the words with confidence in italics. He closed his journal and began the wait. The next three days brought unspeakable discomfort. The test results confirmed what they all feared. He had contracted Ebola. Kent's wife, Amber, was in their home state of Texas when he called her with the diagnosis the following Saturday afternoon. She and their two children were visiting her parents. When her phone rang, she hurried to the bedroom for privacy. Kent went straight to the point. She began to cry and they talked for a few minutes before Kent said that he was too tired and would call again later. Now it was Amber's turn to process the news. She and her parents sat on the edge of her bed and wept for several minutes. After some time, Amber excused herself and went outside. She walked across a field towards a larger tree and took a seat. She found it difficult to find the words to formulate her prayers. So she used the lyrics of hymns that she learned as a little girl. There's no shadow of turning with thee. Thou change not. Thy compassion, it will not fail. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. She later wrote, I thought my husband was going to die. I was in pain. I was afraid. Through those hymns, though, I was able to connect with God in a meaningful way when I couldn't find my own words to pray. Kent was transported back to, from Africa to Atlanta. His caregivers chose to risk an untested treatment and by the grace of God, his, little, his condition improved little by little. <clears throat> the story really hit home for me, as I'm sure it did for many of you. Because we are going through something so similar to Kent, but on a global scale with huge numbers of sufferers. Yet we often find ourselves filling our minds with worries or negative thoughts. This is not abiding in God. Around
around April last year, I was diagnosed with depression. I'd been struggling with it for months before the diagnosis. It was the darkest, loneliest and most numb time in my life. Though the ending was good and beneficial, this does not take away from how hard it is to battle your own thoughts day in, day out, no matter what hour of the day it is. But it was at this time that I began clinging to Christ like my life depended on it, because it did. At the time, I lived in my uni accommodation alone. It was a tiny room, it stank, and I barely had left. It was in this room, in my lowest place, that I began filling my mind with the promises of God. I had a plastic cup that I labelled God's words about me, and I would meditate on the Psalms. I'd take a small sentence, I'd say the sentence several times, but each time emphasise and focus on a different word. My favourite psalm, 13, 2-6. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer. Give me light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And the enemy will say, I've overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. And I cannot express to you how much that verse related to me then and relates to me now. But I focused on other Psalms too. I'd then write them down on a piece of paper, put them in the cup, and then when bad thoughts invaded my mind, I would stop everything I was doing, pick up that piece of paper in a cup and meditate on it. I would cling to Christ with all of my being because I knew that he promised to drown the darkness with light and give me no need ever for anxiety. This is no different today. Filling your mind and thinking on God's words and promises over you is so powerful. And it's a very easy way to be kingdom-minded. Maybe even write those verses and stick them up around the house, the places that you go the most, the toilet, the shower, your beds, or for me, the fridge. But keeping God's words around you and in you is incredible. It is life-changing. And it's what we all need to do in such an anxious, confusing time. So I'm going to speak some of God's words and promises over you now. And I know it's weird because this is all on camera, but I have no doubt in my mind that God would show up and change something within you. So please, close your eyes, settle your breath, and listen to the promises God is giving you. Psalm 3.3 But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. Psalm 16, 9, 11. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me in the realm of the dead. You make known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with the joy of your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, 
I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and staff, they comfort me. Genesis 1, 27. You were made in my image. Ephesians 1, 11 to 12. I chose you when I planned creation. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Romans 8, 35 to 39. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, peril or sword? No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ our Lord. And that's just some of the promises. I don't believe that it's a coincidence that as a church we are looking at one of Paul's letters during a very divided, anxious and quite frankly backwards time. I do believe that God is telling us something. Paul, who wrote many a verse on uniting people, who incredibly controversially invited everybody Jew or not, male or female, to be in Christ's love forever. Paul, who wrote Philippians in prison to unite and free people from anxiety. When we look around on the news, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, emails, and even just overhearing other people's conversations, we are severely divided. Whether that be to wear a mask or to not wear a mask, Lockdown extension or lockdown easier? To reopen schools or to keep them closed? What kind of protest movement you follow to find justice for all of the black people that are murdered for most things white people would not be killed for because we are broken and we need Jesus? Whether to engage in these conversations or completely ignore them? We are divided. The anxieties that everybody is facing over jobs, health, education and colour of skin. They are all, every single one of them, silenced when we rest and settle in Jesus Christ because he is the only way, the only truth and the only life. And as we also famously know, the truth will set you free. So, let's cling to Jesus. He is a vine and we are the branches. And thanks to Jesus... This means our fears disappear. And we are all, every single one of us, finally home. Look, some of what we're talking about today, it is not rocket science. I am woefully ill-qualified for such things. SpaceX and NASA have not come knocking on my door. This is down-to-earth kind of teaching straight from God's heart from the the words of scripture to you and to me today look it's not hard to understand although sometimes it is hard to actually apply to do fundamentally 
when we think about it, it's just logical to do this. You know, the word for fix in Philippians 4, when we're told to fix our thoughts, the Greek word is actually logizomai, the root of which is where we get our word logic to. This fixing, this, this, this choosing and fixing, it's logical, even commonsensical to meditate upon good things if we wish to know the peace of God. The, the problem is too many of us, too much of the time, meditate on bad things. You know what a, a simple word for meditating on bad things is? Worry. You should know that because some of you are really good at it. Come on, choose choose the life that God offers to you and to me. Look, I'm going to share with you just now, again, super simple, a helpful way of remembering and meditating upon Philippians 4 and verse 8, that list of the things that we're invited to think upon. Now, I use the acronym REPLANT. And look, you, me, we may well need a do-over in the garden of our mind and our soul. So let's maybe use this word replant and let's see what God can do. R, whatever is right. In our version earlier, we said it was whatever is just, whatever is right. Think on these things. Now, you might be finding that quite hard at the moment. You know, particularly, uh, we're incredibly blessed as a church to be people who come from many different nationalities and ethnicities. And uh, maybe some of the things that are happening in our world are troubling you disproportionately. Although truth is, they should trouble us all, no matter our background or the colour of our skin. Thinking on things that are right, or thinking on things that are just. Justice is uh, obviously something that doesn't exist apart from God. It is from the heart of God. And and the Bible teaches us, Micah 6 verse 8, for instance, teaches us to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly before our God. It's not only in God's heart, it should be in your heart, my heart. It should be in our world, sometimes not. Acting justly means recognising that for many of us, certainly most, if not all, of the white members of our church, we need to realise that we are privileged by the history and the systems and the preconceptions of our society in the UK, as in many places. You know, you might not be privileged in your bank balance or your education or in your connections, but you are privileged in the status that the colour of your skin or the sound of your name affords you if you're part of the white majority in this area, in this country. So ask yourself today, how can you humble yourself so that the justice of God is the primary outcome of the space that you inhabit rather than your own benefit being primary to you? Not your own benefit, but God's justice. This perhaps is a work of thinking on what is right and on what is just that is so pertinent for us today. To humble yourself, it is certainly a work for the privileged. But can I suggest, and I want to do so as much as I can humbly today, that there is a work for the oppressed also to do. And now it is a grace-filled, easy yoke, light burden Jesus led work for the oppressed for the hurting for the agonized it is not an additional burden to be laid upon them no it's the work of first Peter chapter 5 and verses 6 and 7 
Humble yourselves then under nothing else. Come on, don't read into this at anything that's not there. Just humble yourselves then under God, under his mighty hand. You need to know that he is strong. Under his mighty hand so that he will lift you up in his own good time. Leave your worries with him, all your worries with him, because he cares for you. If this world tells you that you're not worth caring about, please be assured God cares for you. If this world tells you that you're second class in any way, shape or form, this is not just an issue of of colour or or ethnicity. This is an issue of, of every form of injustice in our world. Well, please be assured God speaks to the oppressed and the vulnerable and the weak and the humble. And he says his care is for you. His strong and mighty hand is for you. If if this has been the thinking, the, the work of all of our thinking so far, then it must remain true in all circumstances. Look, if the God of this verse, the one of the mighty hand, if he is good enough for the petty pickles of our day to day, then he is also good for the vast chasms of injustice, for hates, for hurts, for even death itself. Again, Max Lucado puts it like this. He says, we can't run the world, but we can entrust it to God. Peace is within reach, not for lack of problems, but for the presence of a sovereign Lord. Rather than rehearse the chaos of our world, we can choose to rejoice in the Lord's sovereignty. Now, you know, if you don't feel like you can rejoice right now, you, you can still certainly believe and throw yourself upon his sovereignty. And maybe if if those of us who are more privileged in our world, we can do the rejoicing for you. Maybe we can come alongside you and, and bring you something of, of, of the joy of God's sovereignty, even when you might be in places of despair. Come on, this is what it is to be a church, is to fill up in one another what might be lacking. God is in control. And therein and there alone is peace. Does your anger and your pain lead you to a swirling maelstrom of despair? Does it lead you to the visceral lashing out of one who is deeply wounded and afraid? That might be understandable. But I want to encourage you that that your God offers you better than that. Your God offers you the way of humbly petitioning him for his peace and his justice. Remember, you're only required to humble yourself before your God and then to humbly prefer one another in the community of those who are doing exactly that. Look, you are never required to humble yourself before the proud or the self-righteous, the hate-filled or the prejudiced. No, just before your loving Father and see what he will do in and through you. To humble yourself before him doesn't mean that the work of justice can't be fought for. It certainly should be. But it doesn't mean that you realise in this that that, that you've got to be striving still. No, come on. In this, as in all things, we recognise that the battle is the Lord's. Again, as James 4 verse 10 adds for us, 
Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Are you feeling downtrodden? Are your brothers and sisters downtrodden? God is the one who lifts them up. Pray, seek, humble yourself before God. Can we trust for this together? Can I humble myself? I'm not using a generic I, I'm talking about really me, Greg. Can I humble myself before my God and so submit myself to, to your good, that of my brother, my sister in Christ, that we together can see the peace that passes all understanding, guard our hearts and our minds and change the world that we share. It's a question, maybe not much more at the moment, a starter for a conversation, but it is a wondrous possibility in Jesus. Isaiah 35 and verse 4 promises this, tell everyone who is discouraged, be strong and don't be afraid. God is coming to your rescue. I want to speak that over some of you, perhaps all of you this morning, if you are discouraged. Think upon these things. Think of what is right and just. There's much more that could be said. I know my words are so woefully inadequate, but I want us to start to think upon these things. That's the R. Think upon what is right. I'm going to super quickly run through these other things. What is right, E, what is excellent, excellent, worthy of praise. Come on, are you praising one another when they do good in God? Are you celebrating the good things of God? Think on what is right. Think on what is excellent. Think on what is pure. In direct opposition, perhaps, to the salacious, demeaning culture that we see so much of. What is right, what is excellent, what is pure, what is lovely. Oh, I've started as your pastor, calling many of you, every household I'm trying to get around. And the conversations, they're lovely. As you tell me of your care for me and my family, that you're praying for me, as you commend me and and, and others leading in the church for the things that we're doing, it's lovely. I think on these things when I feel pretty desperate, that I can't do what I want to do, that I'm so limited and so inadequate. I think on these things. What is right, what is excellent, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable or commendable, admirable. Are you the kind of person whose conversation and thought always goes to the lowest common denominator? Come on, what is admirable, the highest aspirations in God? Right, excellent, pure, lovely, admirable. What is noble? According to God's standards of righteousness, according to the the life, the character of Christ. And lastly, what is true? Oh, for truth in an age of conspiracy theories and fake news and hot takes. What is true? Right, excellent, pure, lovely, admirable, noble and true. Replant your mind, your heart in Christ Jesus, his peace. Christian, you've got to be choosing to do this. God wants to guard your heart and your mind. The truth of the matter is, some of your minds are pretty hard to guard. You want to grab a hold of them again and, and, and scatter them out away from God's goodness. You need to choose on these things. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Right now, think about somebody. A friend, you know, a family member, somebody who's part of your transformed community. Think of somebody, a Christian in, in this church. I want you to pull out your phone, message them right now and ask them to be your, your partner, your buddy in this. 
replant the seven letters, seven words, seven thoughts, one for every day of the week. Sunday, let's start now. What is right? What is just? And what you're going to do is back and forth, you're going to text, WhatsApp, call one another, and you're going to give one another uh, something that's happened in your experience, a verse from the Bible, uh, something you know to be true about God that fits each of these headings and back and forth like a game of spiritual peace tennis. You're going to do this. Replant week by week. Put your heart, put your mind in the hands of God by doing this. Come on. Have you pulled out your phone? I can see you. You Some of you have not done it yet. Um, Come on. Go ahead and do this. Choose what is landing in your mind and what it is depositing. Your world won't do this for you. Your spiritual enemy will not do this for you. But you get to do this and partner with Jesus in this. Are you up for that? It's not complicated. It's not rocket science. But it's a choice to take God at his word, to use the logic and the common sense that he has given to you. Look, we've researched some wonderful verses. Uh, we've linked to them in the notes for this um, teaching grab a hold of them and start sending them back and forth day by day, encouraging one another in Jesus. You need to lift your eyes up to these things. Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. People who are at peace bring peace. People who are at peace with the Prince of Peace bring peace. People whose hearts and minds are guarded in Jesus bring peace. You need peace. I need peace. This world needs peace. So let's run to Jesus together, shall we?